0: Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Liebman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. We end today with Jeannie Carver. She lives on the 152 year old Imperial Stock Ranch in Central Oregon. For decades now, she and her family have worked to incorporate sustainable practices on the ranch. Now they are getting into carbon sequestration. They recently entered into a 10 year contract to sell carbon offsets. Jeannie Carver joins us to talk about all this. Welcome to the show
1: oh thank you thanks for inviting me
0: um my understanding is that you and your family started a a conservation management plan in 1989 for your land before that what was the health of the soil like
1: well that's a broad question um I mean, this this land hasn't changed a whole lot uh, for hundreds of years, and it wasn't solid, it was settled first settled by the folks coming west on the Oregon Trail back in the in 1871. In fact, the young man that, that settled here and filed a homestead claim was one of the first two to do so in this part of Oregon. So they were coming to a land that was essentially untouched. And this is not land like the Willamette Valley. This is semi-arid. We always said we got eight to 10 inches of rain a year, but we haven't seen that in the last four or five years. So this is primarily grazing land, natural ecosystems with some of even during the homestead area, they did clear their more level ground and established crop fields. So this is dry land farming country where you get what nature provides in terms of moisture and you recognize how precious that moisture is. And so this has been some dry land farming, but primarily grazing land for all of its history. So it hasn't had a lot of um, inputs and impacts the way you might think of as uh, the Willamette Valley, which is typically all farm ground. So, so the the land itself is more unchanged, more in, has less impact by, by by humankind and probably much more, um, you know, land that's been far more intensely. So um, we came here in the late '80s, and my husband's philosophy had always been to see the land wind. You know, he raised he was raised up in Western Oregon in a logging family, and he grew up long, logging and. He just, it hurt him every time he took down a big tree, he always said. So his goal was to have control of a piece of land on our, this this ground is about 50 square miles of land we control and he wanted to see it wind. So very early in his time here, he reached out to our local agency partners like the Soil and Water Conservation District and Natural Resource Conservation Service and our extension agents from Oregon State to work collectively to look at this whole whole piece of land, look at its problem areas, and identify a roadmap, if you will, of how we could how we could ranch with the health of natural resources as our primary focus. And that total plan was put together in 1989, and it became the guide of what we would do from then on. And of course. We, you know, continue to observe, and we have agency testimony and monitoring and yield data and species counts. And those things combined help guide our management um, decisions and the practices that we implement.
0: Can you tell us about it? So Uh, I don't know, uh, Dave,
1: uh, if I answered your question, but... (laughs)
0: I think you did, but I I, I want to zoom forward. Ten years after that that conservation management plan started, my understanding is you got a a really fateful phone call. What happened?
1: Well... um we we made a fateful phone call. You see in agriculture, mostly we take our harvest um, and sell them as a commodity. Everybody knows that. And in 1999, we'd been selling our wool to the same company for a hundred years. So we were 10 years down the road of that um, conservation management plan. And we were seeing amazing changes on the land. It was very motivating to um, begin to see indicator species grow in numbers as well as other indicators. But that spring we called our buyer for wool after shearing and said, what will the price be this year for the wool? And the answer was, folks, we're not buying. We're closing our processing and going offshore like everybody else. So where we have been managing very creatively on the land, we now had to take that attitude and apply it to the markets and essentially find a new way to sell the wool harvest. And eventually that led to the Lamb and other things as well.
0: Hmm. When did you start thinking about soil carbon and sequestration in particular?
1: Well, this is a logical process, and I think that's the thing that people should, should hear, is that what we did in the beginning in the late 80s was to preserve the health of natural resources, which would ensure our harvest and ensure our future here and collectively the future of all of us. The next thing that happened was a loss of markets, so we had to find a new way to sell the harvest. We went down that road, and some of your listeners may know, but 13 years later, during the 2012 Olympics, I got another fateful call, which actually took our wool harvest to the Olympic stage as the face and voice of Ralph Lawrence made in America Olympic uniforms for Team USA. Uh, but you see... That recognition brought more and more brands to our door. And at the in t- 2015, one of those was Patagonia. And they wanted us to be third-party audited for our land stewardship and our animal husbandry practices. So this is an evolving issue that is gaining a lot of momentum. So we uh, said yes to that and then became... The first ranch in the world certified to what has become the leading global standard for responsible sheep and wool production. It's called the Responsible Wool Standard. So, you see, now we had our observations, our yield data, our species counts, agency testimony, and third party certification to the leading benchmarks in the world for soil, water, and grassland health, along with best practices in animal husbandry. But I was challenged in the winter of 19 as to whether or not in ranching and raising livestock, we were destroying the soil and just putting methane in the atmosphere. And so that was a wake up call also, that what was needed today was to measure the ecosystem and climate impacts of our ranching operations. And so that winter I reached out to Oregon State University and Dr. John Talbot, Um, answered my question, can we quantify the ecosystem and climate impacts of our ranching operation on an ongoing annual basis? And he said yes. So he has built a research model which we began implementing in the spring of 2020. And soil organic carbon capture is a key performance indicator of the health of our of our operation and that's when i really became focused on it you know we were truly working on this all the way through because if you ask um if you ask a soil scientist or a range conservationist how important soil carbon is they'll tell you it's always been about that but our focus has not been there today we have collectively we have a new recognition of the importance of ecosystem health and the impacts to the climate. And so we have now emerging markets. And I first, I just, Dave, first I just wanted to know the answer. On a net basis each year as ranchers, do we bring a net negative or positive impact to the environment? That's the question I wanted to know. What do we do? Because we had never before actually measured it. And so that's what they've been able to do. We now have three and a half years of very solid data on our net impacts. And the truth is we deliver beef, lamb, wool, grains, and hay to market every year and have for 152 years. But until now, we never knew that perhaps our greatest deliverable is that we are on a net basis. Adding carbon by pulling CO two out of the atmosphere into our soils and grazing lands, and this information we have today that we never had before. So, are that you saying that, has you're, the that you're
0: you're pulling more carbon into the soils than you would, and, and all told, I mean, as a kind of a net, when you when you subtract yeah. the, the methane emissions, more than if you weren't ranching, if you are simply letting the land fully be with with no grazing whatsoever.
1: True. That is that's true. And I'm not a scientist, but um I'm learning a lot from the many the team of scientists that I work with. But yes, it's true that if you have well-managed grazing or stimulation of plant communities, um you will return a better environmental benefit than if there is no intentional grazing. In other words, idle landscapes aren't as don't function as well as landscapes that have that have had, um, you know, an impetus to grow. So if you think about, you know, our lawns, you know, we mow our lawns, we apply fertilizer, um, the grazing animals are here for the same purpose. They're here from the creator. You know, they bite these plant communities and move across the landscape and naturally um put organic matter in contact with the soil through walking on it. They nap the they prepare the soil to receive moisture with their hooves. They spread uh, urine and manure naturally, which is returning nutrients and carbon back to the soil. When we account for our electrical. Use, use, our equipment use, and fossil fuel consumption. We account in our research project for our methane emissions from livestock. But when you look at the whole impact of grazing animals, well-managed ranching operations, um, we are actually able to now know that we return a net positive value to nature. This This is a huge thing. And this is a, a, a growing market area, ecosystem services is a is a a, a really emerging market in this country. And we, my hope should, we, was we just that have about
0: a, a minute left. I'm just curious about the question of okay. of scale because my understanding is that to do what you're you're doing, you need to very actively manage your land and to and to be very careful about short grazing in a particular place and then moving the animals on and doing that, you know, throughout all of your land, how much can that scale up across the American West?
1: It can scale up in a big way. In 2018, I launched Shenico Wool Company to scale the supply of wool produced in the Western US that meets these leading global standards. So we would have what our partners, brands, fashion brands want in terms of a better carbon footprint. And so right now Shanico wool is 10 ranches in my group. We graze collectively 2.6 million acres, and we are measuring that entire 2.6 million acres with amazing pulmonary data. So the the truth is, um, yes, you can ranch in a way that returns a net positive value to nature. And My hope today is that I can bring every rancher in my group a new income stream for that positive value we provide to nature, besides delivering food, fiber, and shelter to the human community.
0: Jeannie Carver, thanks very much. Thank you. Jeannie Carver is a founder and owner of the Shanico Wool Company. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. We'll be back tomorrow. Think Out Loud is supported by Stephen Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, and Michael, Kristen, Andrew, and Anna Kern.